Welcome to the By Study and By Faith podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, showcasing BYU devotionals that blend reason and science with faith, university disciplines with discipleship, and the scholarly with the sacred. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled Real Causes and Real Effects, was given on March 28 of 2017 by Keith Forking, then an associate dean in the Marriott School of Management. As I was preparing for my talk, I was reminded of a story I once heard at a state conference session a number of years ago. The story begins with a rancher out on his ranch one morning performing chores when he sees a shiny pickup truck drive onto his ranch and park. Out of the truck steps a man in a uniform who walks up to the rancher and states, I'm here to inspect your ranch for any illegally grown drugs. Grown drugs. The rancher responds, fine, but do not go into that field over there, pointing to a beautiful field to the east. The officer replies, mister, I don't think you understand me. I'm here to inspect your ranch, and I have the authority of the federal government behind me. Reaching into his pocket, He pulls out some form of a badge and proudly displays the badge to the rancher. See this badge, old man? This badge means I'm allowed to go on any land pointing across the farmer's ranch. Have I made myself clear? The rancher apologizes, nods, and goes about his chores. A short while later, the old rancher hears someone screaming and looks up and sees the officer running, being chased by a large bull in the field the rancher had told the officer not to enter. With every step the officer takes, the bull takes two. With this shrinking distance between the charging bull and the frantic officer, the rancher steps onto the fence enclosing the field and yells, your badge, show him your badge. (laughs) On college campuses everywhere, including this one, we do a fair amount of badge showing and for good reason. Our faculty have gone to top graduate schools and trained with many of the best scholars in their disciplines, which, among other benefits, help prepare them to stand at the front of your classrooms and speak with expertise and authority. Unfortunately, I have no badge to pull from my pocket demonstrating my credentials to speak today. I am grateful for the vote of confidence from President Worthen and Vice President Richardson in extending this invitation. I am also grateful to each of you for coming to be a part of today's devotional. It is not lost on me that you have a choice to attend or not. To this end, I hope and pray for the presence of the Spirit that we may be edified as a result. I am grateful for my wife, Marcy, and my children, all of whom are here except for our oldest daughter, Sarah, who is serving a mission in South Carolina and just happens to return from her mission next week. We're excited in our household. I'm grateful for my mother and for other family members, dear friends, and colleagues who are here as well today. I had the good fortune of growing up in the state of Alaska. It was a fantastic place to be raised. As an example of this, each year our scout troop would plan and carry out amazing high adventure camps. We would go backpacking, canoeing, and even whitewater rafting. For one such summer camp, we decided to raft a well-known section of the Gulcana River. We had a great time. Other than a lot of rain, which is summers in Alaska, 
We rafted through beautiful country. We caught seemingly endless numbers of fish. We saw abundant wildlife, including bald eagles and grizzly bear. On one of the final days of the trip, we came up against the signature whitewater challenge of the river, a section of rapids ending with a seven to 10 foot waterfall. At this point, many rafters would actually take their rafts and their gear out of the river and portage around the falls to ensure against losing gear or getting or harm. We decided, being bright, to carry our gear around the waterfall, but to enjoy the thrill of running the rafts through the rapids and over the falls. I went in a raft with my father, who happened to be one of our youth leaders. He was situated at the center of the raft, where he could use two large oars to steer. I sat near the front of the raft. I was given a paddle, but my primary role was to stay out of his way. I still remember smoothly navigating the rapids and with confidence and exhilaration approaching the waterfall. Everything was lined up perfectly. And much like you'd experience on a roller coaster, we shot down off the falls to the water below. But just after passing the falls, the raft paused a bit and started moving backwards. I didn't understand why, so I turned back to see my father, only to see him being engulfed in the falls, immediately knocking him out of the raft and into the river. Let me take a quick detour from the story and explain a little bit more about the current and flow of this waterfall. As water flowed over the falls, the force would carry it down to the river bottom, where it would rebound and cause the water to flow back up towards the surface, following a circular path. When the water would come back up to the surface, a wave was formed, and the force of this wave would actually push back upstream towards the falls. This wave, sometimes called a standing wave, was what our raft had hit and drove us back into the falls. Okay, now back to the story. Here I was, alone in the raft. The force of the raft hitting the falls had turned it sideways. And you could guess that in that brief moment, I went from excitement to panic. But the ordeal was not over. Over the course of the next few minutes, which to me seemed to go on forever, uh, the raft, now sideways, would slowly float away from the falls downstream until it would hit the standing wave, reversing the raft's course back towards the falls. As the raft would approach the falls, the cascading water would hit the nearest side tube of the raft, and that force would cause the raft to begin to tip up towards the falls, as if it were to flip over upside down with me in the raft. However, each time, as the raft would approach the point of flipping over, it would stop, fall back flat, and then float out towards the standing wave, only to repeat the process all over again. This back and forth between the falls and the standing wave was repeated perhaps about seven to 10 times. During all of this, uh, my other youth leaders and fellow youth were standing on a bank of the river, perhaps just 15 feet away, shouting support and instructions to me. And even though they were that close, shouting as loud as they could, it seemed impossible at the time to hear exactly what they were saying. The noise of the waterfall, the number of different people who were all trying to shout at me at the same time, and probably most of all, the overwhelming intensity of the situation all drowned out their words. I could not hear what they were saying. At one point, I came to the brilliant conclusion that what they were trying to tell me to do was to hold tight to the raft. So with all the trust and faith in their instructions, 
I did my best to increase my already death grip on the raft. Finally, after yet another flip of the raft into the falls, now the raft almost full of water fell down, this time floated over the standing wave instead of getting pushed back towards the falls, and moved into a calmer section of waters where I was immediately rescued by my leaders who pulled the raft to the side of the river. As a side note, my father was also rescued from the river about a third of a mile downstream. Later that day, we all gathered together and talked about what had happened. One of the young men's leaders, who happened to be standing closest to me on the bank and shouting more than the others, told our scout group of how proud he was that I had showed courage and followed the instructions that they were shouting to me to lean against the tipping raft. He said this was what saved the boat from flipping and me from being seriously injured or worse. As he talked to the group about my obedience and bravery, I began to convince myself that his story was exactly what had happened. <laughs> I had been brave. I had leaned against the tipping raft to keep it from flipping over. However, as time wore on, and more and more I thought about what had happened, I realized that this description was not entirely accurate. What had saved me from the, from, the, from the waterfall was the raft filling up with water and becoming heavy enough to keep it from tipping and to carry it through the standing wave. And it had little to do with my following the instructions of my leaders. In fact, I hadn't followed their instructions because I hadn't heard them. The circumstances of that event made it difficult to figure out what had really caused my safe escape from the waterfall. I believe my experience on the raft that day and the difficulty of determining what caused my safe escape represents in some ways the challenges we face in determining the true causes of outcomes in our lives. We make many mistakes in determining causality. Each party involved in my rescue had come to an incorrect or incomplete conclusion about what had led to my successful escape. I'd like to address each. First, my young men's leaders. I am sure that they were fearful for my safety, and their intentions were to do everything that they could to save me, but they could not make it out to the raft, so they could not feel and experience what was happening to me on the raft. They wanted to believe that their instructions were making a difference, but they were unable to tell that the sound of the rushing water was so loud that I could not hear them to follow their instructions. Perhaps they even saw the tightening of my grip following their shouting, and viewed this as leaning against the tipping raft, and concluded that their instructions had been received, obeyed, and caused my safe escape. Second, the other young men. Like the leaders, I believe they too were fearful for my safety and somewhat overwhelmed by the situation. They witnessed the leaders shouting instructions, again likely saw what appeared to be my obeying those instructions, but there was enough uncertainty about what I had actually done that it allowed them to accept a story of my obedience and bravery. Perhaps they may have even said to themselves, there's no way I could have done that, but Keith, he's brave, and so of course he would have followed the instructions and saved himself. Last, myself. I wanted to believe that it was my own bravery that had contributed to my escape. And while I know that my actions had something to do with the escape, 
because I had held on with the best grip a 15-year-old could muster, I did not do all that the leader claimed I had done. Yet I liked my leader's story better, and perhaps due to my own insecurities at the time, I was glad that his story brought me attention and respect from both the leaders and my peers. Like this experience, we face many situations as helper, observer, or participant where we can become misled or just make a mistake assessing the true causes of the outcomes in our lives. Fear, insecurity, the distractions of the world around us, and an overwhelming number of voices can combine and confuse us to keep us from drawing the right conclusions about real causes and real effects. I would like to spend my remaining time discussing some of the challenges of drawing the right spiritual inferences and discuss a tool the Lord has provided to help us avoid making these mistakes. Like the use of inference in a statistical setting, the point here is not only knowing the correct conclusion to draw, but realizing in some cases you should not draw any conclusion. Now you might ask, why would I make this the topic of my devotional? Well, you wouldn't be alone in asking that question. The same was posed by my own children when I told them of my plans. My response to them and to you is that one of the great challenges of mortality is to learn to make correct assessments and judgments in the face of uncertainty. It is an essential part of the plan. Satan does not make this easy. In a recent broadcast, President Russell M. Nelson said, quote, Pray to discern between God's laws and the philosophies of men, including those cunning counterfeits of the adversary. Through eons of time, Lucifer has honed his craft. He is skilled at distraction, distortion, deception, and misdirection. I plead with you to avoid his cunning snares as you would avoid a plague. Unquote. Another quote of this challenge comes from the following. Quote, Man is so intelligent that he feels impelled to invent theories to account for what happens in the world. Unfortunately, he is not quite intelligent enough, in most cases, to find correct explanations, so that when he acts on his theories, he, often, he behaves very often like a lunatic." Unquote. Now, lunatic is strong. But on our own, we too frequently fail to see the real cause and effect relationships. I suspect if each of us were to take a quick inventory of our recent past, we would find an occasion where we drew the wrong conclusion or the wrong spiritual inference about what caused some outcome in our lives or in the life of a loved one. As President Nelson states, the consequences of such errors can be as severe as a plague. In a similar way that the youth leaders and perhaps my peers were led to think that I was the cause of my safe escape, Satan can deceive us to focus our attention on the outcome more than the causes. For example, I could claim that my raft did not flip over and I was able to escape, and so my actions must have caused this to happen. The scriptures teach us that in the pre-existence, each of us was given a choice about whose plan to follow, God's plan or Satan's plan. Satan's plan confounded cause and effect in that his plan would save all mankind, the desired outcome, but without the development that was central to God's plan, which would be the real cause of our eternal life. 
Yet this plan appealed to a third of the hosts of heaven as they were convinced that his way was the right way to achieve some form of eternal life. As we know, they were incorrect in their evaluation of the plans and face eternal consequences as a result. Perhaps a case that may even be closer to us. Do we think of serving a mission in a way similar to Satan's plan for eternal life by focusing more on the outcome, or do we focus on the efforts of the behaviors that will cause a successful mission? To focus primarily on the outcome or serving a mission, we may miss important preparation or shortchange our need for growth. We may even be inclined to ignore sins or imperfections in our lives if we believe they might keep us from the desired outcome of serving a mission. To do so would keep us from coming to know Christ and his atonement and to qualify for the companionship of the Holy Ghost, the most important companion of a successful missionary. Another tool of Satan is his ability to convince us that certain correlations are actually causations. Now, I know we've all heard this phrase regularly, yet we fall prey to its lure. I display a somewhat silly example uh, above, a plot of two variables that appear to be quite correlated. The number of actor Nicolas Cage movies that come out yearly, and the corresponding number of annual deaths by drowning in a pool. By simple visual analysis, one might conclude that an overconsumption of Nick Cage movies might actually drive movie watchers to drown themselves in their backyard pools. <laughs> now, my children have actually offered some theories as to why this relationship might be causal. But we know that this correlation should not lead us to any cause-effect conclusions. This is an overly simple example to reject causality. But we know that Satan uses much more subtle methods to deceive us into believing causal relationships that will draw us from straight and narrow onto alternative paths that oftentimes end in unhappiness. How often have we observed others struggling with faith crises and concluded the cause of their struggles are due to behaviors or information that we observe and appear to be correlated? Or perhaps in contrast, do we observe friends who seem to be living a life without trials and conclude that they must be spiritually superior because we can see their paths are clear when compared to the many obstacles we see in our own lives? The Lord exhorts us to judge not, but the allure of observable correlations can be challenging to ignore. The best response in many cases is to draw no causal conclusions based solely on correlated information. Related to his correlation tool, Satan works to confound and confuse us through unobserved or frequently described as omitted information. Let's go back to the example on the raft. The outside observers, the young men leaders and my peer scouts, did not know that the noise of the crashing water kept me from hearing their instructions, nor did they appear to see that with each trip into the falls, the raft was filling up with water. Had they observed these facts, they would have likely altered their conclusions about what caused my safe escape. In many cases, we will never be given all of the information to determine causality, and what we do not observe may be a key driver of the outcome. Just as before, our conclusion, our best conclusion, may be to draw no inference 
realizing that we just don't have all of the information. However, Satan lures us into the need of trying to explain all behavior, and his offered conclusions lead us away from seeing others as God does. Satan will also work to convince us to use unobserved or omitted information to our advantage. I liked the conclusion of my young men leader when he saw me as brave and obedient. It actually took me a few hours to come clean to them that I had not, in fact, leaned against the tipping raft. One of the great attractions of social media is that we can control the information that is conveyed to the world and what information is not. We must remember, as stated in 1 Samuel 16:7, that the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. There is no unobserved or omitted information to the Lord, and his love for us is not dependent on how perfect we appear on an Instagram account. But Satan will work to convince us that we can be justified to cover our sins or to hide the true causes of our outcomes if doing so will work to our worldly advantage. Satan will accomplish this by playing on our insecurities and fears. Elder Neil A. Maxwell stated, quote, He who was thrust down in the first estate delights to have us put ourselves down. Self-contempt is of Satan, unquote. Even after I'd been rescued for a period of time, I was still shaken and scared. I did not feel like I was on solid ground. When the story was told of my bravery, I almost immediately but temporarily began to feel better about myself. I liked the positive attention until I eventually admitted to myself that it was not based on the truth. Now, in their search to determine causal relationships, economists and statisticians have defined the term instrument as information that can help to rule out unimportant correlations, to control for unobserved or omitted variables, and to, and to determine the direction of cause and effect relationships. I would like to borrow this term and discuss a powerful spiritual instrument the Lord has provided to help us identify causal relationships and make correct spiritual inferences. This spiritual instrument is the gift of the Holy Ghost. President James E. Faust taught us, quote, Satan has had great success with this gullible generation. There is, however, an ample shield against the power of Lucifer and his hosts. This protection lies in the spirit of discernment through the gift of the Holy Ghost. This gift comes undeviatingly by personal revelation to those who strive to obey the commandments of the Lord and to follow the counsel of the living prophets." Unquote. The term spiritual discernment that President Faust uses parallels very closely with the phrase spiritual inference that I have been using in my talk. As President Faust stated, the Holy Ghost helps us to see the real causes of real effects. And he also tells us how we can qualify for this gift, through our striving to obey the commandments and by following the counsel of our living prophets. Notice that President Faust does not say we have to be perfectly obedient to the commandments, only that we must strive. Also, in contrast to perhaps the world's view, we will see and understand better when we exercise faith in our leaders and obey their counsel. Recently, our church leaders have reminded us of the roles that the Sabbath day and sacrament observance can play in maintaining our relationship with the Spirit. 
Proper participation in the sacrament will more fully bring the Spirit into our lives. Elder David A. Bednar makes this connection between the sacrament and the Holy Ghost more clear. Quote, Through the ordinance of the sacrament, we renew our baptismal covenants and can receive and retain a remission of our sins. In addition, we are reminded on a weekly basis of the promise that we may always have his Spirit to be with us. As we strive to keep ourselves clean and unspotted from the world, we become worthy vessels in whom the Spirit of the Lord can always dwell." I am personally grateful for ironic priesthood holders who each week petition God in my behalf for the help that I might always remember Christ and that I might always have His Spirit to be with me. Renewing those covenants on Sunday has brought the Spirit more deeply and consistently into my life. Let me share an example in my family's life of how the Holy Ghost can help us see the truly causal relationships. A number of years ago, our family was on a trip to visit relatives, and while sitting in a small plane waiting to take off for another airport where we would catch a connecting flight, a lightning storm arose and caused a significant delay in our departure. All planes were grounded for a period of time. Marcy and my immediate response to this delay was to get on the phone, call the airlines, hotels, car rental agencies, our relatives, to discuss contingencies if we did not make the connection. During all of this chaos, our youngest daughter suggested that we pray for help. The thought hadn't crossed my mind, but it was quickly supported by her brother and sisters. With Marcy's endorsement, we did our best to gather among the two rows of seats that we were sitting amongst and try not to draw attention, offered a brief and sincere prayer for the Lord to provide a solution to our predicament. The prayer bot brought relief and peace, and soon thereafter the plane took off. Not long before we arrived at the connecting airport, and well after the time the connection was scheduled to leave, the pilot came over the intercom and stated that contrary to typical practice, the connecting flight was waiting at the gate for those on our flight. We were able to make the connection. Now, my sharing of this story is not to indicate that God cares about the Vorking family vacation plans. That might be a likely uh, interpretation, but that would be the wrong inference to draw. What we learned from that experience and what the Spirit communicated to me in that simple prayer was that God was most interested in letting a young girl know and her family know that he listens to us and answers prayers. In conclusion, the bulk of my talk has been a cautionary tale against claiming causality when we do not have the ability to truly identify it. I want to end, though, with a witness of a causal relationship that we all know, that I personally know. Jesus Christ is the great cause. He has perfect knowledge of things as they really are, including each of us. Through his Spirit, he can change our minds and our hearts. He will help us to see with spiritual eyes the causal relationships that will lead to happiness and eternal life and ignore those that will draw us away from him and his love. This I testify in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the By Study and By Faith podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage. Overcoming Adversity, Come Follow Me, 
the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.